So we got Pastor Ed here. If you do not know Pastor Ed, he is uh, just a really dear friend. And so if you've been around uh, Encounter uh, for the past couple years or anything like that, you know who he is. You know how just well he speaks God's word. Um, and so tonight as we talk about uh, trials and how to walk with people through trials, how to go through trials ourselves, man, listen, I cannot think of a better person than, than Ed Litton. If you don't know him, he is the senior pastor at Redemption, just right down the, the interstate there, right by University of Mobile in Sarah Land, incredible, incredible sister church of ours. And so listen, he has come tonight to speak to you guys. And so listen, give him your full attention, take some notes, open your Bible, give it up for Pastor Ed Linton, people. Hey, thank you, sir. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you, Joshua. What an honor to be here tonight. It's good to see you guys. What a great group this evening. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you find 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter I want to speak for a moment tonight on this subject. The gift no one wants. Everyone gets, but few embrace. What is the gift no one wants? Everyone gets in life, but very few embrace to the fullest. It's the gift of pain. Now, It is not a popular subject to talk about pain because all of us try to manage the pains of our life. And I was doing pretty good in managing my pains. I had average pains, common pains to my stage. Wherever I was in life, I was pretty much able to cope with, endure, or manage my pain until August the 16th, 2007. On that day, it was a typical... August day in Mobile, Alabama, you can imagine, hot, sweaty, kind of like November until this week, amen? Can you say thank the Lord for the cool weather, isn't that beautiful out there? August the 16th, uh, just the sun rose is a typical day, a very busy schedule. My wife and three children, our oldest son was in college, our second son that week would be moved into his dorm room at Union University up in Jackson, Tennessee, and my 13-year-old daughter was going to audition for a cello professor at uh, Southern Miss University. And my wife, Tammy, and I had just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And she was going to drive her over. I had a meeting that morning, came back to the church. She said, hey, I've got a flat tire. I said, well, why don't you take my truck? It's a lot safer. You go. I'll fix the tire and take care of it. We'll see you tonight at dinner. She kisses me, goes out. She and my daughter head off for Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I don't know if many of you are familiar with Highway 98 between Hattiesburg and Mobile, but there's a little church called Midway Missionary Baptist Church. Very In the very front of that church, for what reason we do not know, a semi-tractor and trailer was left in the middle of the highway. It ran out of fuel as it was edging up the hill. The guy stopped it, parked, and walked away. She plowed into the back of that and was killed instantly. My daughter survived the crash with some wounds, some injury, but my life suddenly changed. I now had a pain I could not manage. I was facing even a lack of desire to manage my pain. And as far as I was concerned, I was willing and ready to die and even contemplated death at my own hands. It's an interesting statistic I want to give you. 
The United States of America makes up 5% of the world's population. 5% of the world's population. But we consume 80% of the world's opioids. Help me with that. What does that tell you? What does it say to you? That 5% of the world's population consumes 80% of the painkillers. By the way, it's a misnomer to call it a painkiller. You know why? Because if you kill pain, just take one, you're done. It doesn't kill pain. It accentuates pain. It makes pain something uh, secondary to a bigger pain, a bigger trouble. I, I wonder when I statistics it is you're struggling with. What kind of pain is our culture struggling with? And, and I'm going to say this. Is this coming through okay? Cord? <laughs> that was, that's why we went to wireless a long time ago, wasn't it? Do, you want me just to stand still? Does that help? Just, if we can get it, we get it. We'll keep it. Good. By the way, these guys are doing a great job, aren't they? Give them a hand back there. Come on. Tech crew. Um, but the reality is you're in pain. The thing about pain that I've learned is that it's really very difficult to judge another person's pain. You know, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7, judge not lest you be judged. That, that's become the key word in our culture, the key scripture verse in our culture. It used to be John three sixteen for God so loved the world, but now it's judge not lest you be judged. I understand that difference culturally, but for us, we need to understand something. Your capacity to feel pain is something I cannot even begin to fathom or understand, nor you, mine. There has to be another way we approach pain. And I find in Scripture that I believe there is. But we talked about personal pain. I don't know what your personal pain is, but I honor the fact that it's real. A.W. Tozier was a very famous theologian, pastor, and this is what he said famously, God never uses a man or a person greatly until he wounds them deeply. Now, that is a problematic statement, but I believe it is absolutely true. You see, all believers in Jesus Christ, at the heart of our worship, at the heart of our discipleship, our mission is to make disciples to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. But I want to tell you one of the problems the modern church has, and I think I'm in a position to make some evaluations of churches. Not only have I pastored a church for many years, just like your pastor, Alan Floyd, has, and we're very good friends, but I also have been in a position on a national level to see our tribe of people called Southern Baptist. And some of you may be surprised to know that Cottage Hills is Southern Baptist Church. That's cool. Just bear with me. Our first priority is Jesus. Y'all say anything around here? You say like amen, roll tide, war eagle, or go jags? No? No? Okay. Great. Well, you feel free to say whatever you want. But, but the truth is, all believers are called to make disciples. And, and I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Your greatest qualification in doing that, your greatest qualification in hearing a person who is not churched, what, what some would call lost, what some would call, not in a judgmental way, just a, a factual way, they don't know Christ. Your greatest qualification in communicating with that person the gospel is not your education. It's not your brilliance. It's not a perfect track record. It's your pain. 
Because your pain cries out to their pain. I'll go even further. Your brokenness cries out to their brokenness. Your shame cries out to theirs. You see, what Jesus did, if you'll note his life, Jesus is always hanging out with and surrounding himself with and talking to and engaging people who are not like him, who are broken, who are sometimes notorious sinners. So much so that they developed a reputation for Jesus. And it's no fun when somebody pins you with a reputation you don't deserve or want. But Jesus had the same experience, if you have, so you have someone who understands. Here's the point. People called him a glutton and a drunk. Why? Because he was hanging around gluttons and drunks. Now, there's some caution here. I would caution my children. I would caution anybody in my church. Be careful because sin has a vortex power to pull you down into it. So if you think my ministry is hanging out at bars, you know, I would caution you in that. But at the same time, don't be afraid to love people who hurt. As a matter of fact, that's the entry point. Your personal pain is something God wants to use. But let me tell you, there's other kinds of pain. There's leadership pain. Whether you're an elder or a staff member someday or a leader in your church or a pastor in your church, a guy by the name of Dr. Sam Chand wrote a book called Leadership Pain, and this is what he said. He said, if you're not hurting, you're not leading. I had this conversation with a pastor in our community today over lunch, and I told him, I said, he's in a new role, and I said, you're going to have to lead, and I'm going to tell you that you know you're heading in the right direction with your vision when it costs you something, when it hurts you. It's a very important statement to make. Why? Because pain is the key to progress. The longer you avoid a real problem, the more painful it gets. There is no progress without pain. The difference between where I am right now, spiritually or in school or otherwise, can be measured in pain. Pain teaches us, listen to this, what what pleasure never does. Thank God for pleasure. But it's pain that schools us. There, um, I, I came under the reading of a man by the name of Dr. Paul Brand. Paul Brand was a medical missionary to India, and he worked in particular with leprosy patients. For eons, people thought leprosy was a flesh-eating disorder that was highly contagious. And so when you would come up to Jesus, and the Bible shows time and again he's healing lepers. You all remember that? They would come up to him, they would have to say unclean before they got to him, or they would walk up to him and the whole crowd would walk away because they couldn't be contaminated. Nobody wanted to be sick. It was like, it was like the worst kind of COVID on steroids. It's funny, Jesus always touches them. He always embraces them. He draws them toward him. Because he's not intimidated. Well, it turns out Dr. Paul Brand, working with leprosy patient and other scientists years ago, discovered that leprosy is not a flesh-eating disorder. It's contagious, but for different reasons. What it is is a disorder of the central nervous system. Listen to this. Your central nervous system stops feeling pain when leprosy becomes your disease. So in other words, you can damage, and this is, I'm going to read a quote by Dr. Paul Brand that will exemplify this. You can damage your finger, let's say, and break it and not feel it and continue to use it and do damage so much that gangrene sets in and eventually it will rot off. The same thing happens with people, their their skin, who have leprosy, their skin becomes translucent, they'll have appendages fall off, their ears will fall off, scabs will be incurable, opened wounds, and, and that's why they were so despised. 
and one of the most heartbreaking diseases throughout history, and it still plagues the earth. But listen to me. Dr. Paul Brand said, I want you to listen in light of that. When he talked about pain, the gift no one wants, he, he said, if I held in my hands the power to eliminate physical pain from the world, I would not exercise it. He is not a sadistic, cruel doctor. But he makes a point. He says, my work with pain-deprived patients has proved to me that pain protects us from destroying ourselves. So that when you have a pain, it's an indication something's not right. Something's wrong. Pain is actually a part, and I'm not trying to sell you on the glory of pain. Pain is not glorious. Pain is not, but when you have pain, it tends to be, whether it's soulish pain, whether it's spiritual pain, or whether it's physical pain, it tends to tell you something's wrong or something needs attention. So what is your pain? There's personal pain. There's leadership pain. There's congregational pain. You can have pain in a church. When Tammy died, my church, Redemption Church, was then called First Baptist North Mobile, and the people of my church grieved over my wife's death like their mother died. And I'd always heard that the pastor's wife is like the mom of the church, but I never accepted that. I didn't want that for my wife. I, she had, we have three kids. We, you don't need anybody else to mother. But in fact, the people suffered greatly. Uh, I was with a church this past weekend in Tennessee. The pastor's wife died two weeks ago while he was preaching. And the church is reeling in pain. And the people are grieving. There's not only congregational pain, and this is the one I want you to focus on with me. There is community pain. There are people in your community that are in pain. Now, let me tell you the problem today in the church. The problem is that we and the people of the church have become isolated from the pain in our community. Some people are isolated because we think, well, you know what? They made their own bed. They can sleep in it. Well, look what they're doing. Look how they live. That's, that's, that's why they're in pain. Man, if they just knew what I knew, or if they voted for who I voted for, or if they looked more like me, if they acted more like me, or thought like me, then they wouldn't be in the mess that they're in, and they probably wouldn't feel the pain. That is said by people who have not had much pain in life. The reality is it's a gift nobody wants. I don't want it, and frankly, I don't want it for you. But it is a gift everybody gets. And here's the tragedy. Few Embrace it. So let me just take those three statements in my title. Let's break them down real quick. The first point, the gift nobody wants. Paul, the apostle, was familiar with pain. He was familiar with personal pain, leadership pain. He was familiar with congregational pain. And he was familiar with community pain. Every community he took the gospel in, he went straight to the streets, just like Jesus. He loved people that other people didn't love. He engaged people that were far from God. That is the mission of the local church. It is not to gather, to sit, sour, soak in this beautiful environment. He's singing amazing praise to the Lord 24-7 all the days of our lives and then trying to go out and live in this world with all of its troubles and woes. We're not here to insulate ourselves. We're here to be encouraged, instructed, and go back out to this painful world. So Paul, the apostle, has a terrible pain in his life. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me pick up in verse 3. He starts off a little mysteriously. He says, I know this man. Now, let me tell you, just a quick, he's talking about himself. 
He, he said, I know this man, whether he was in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. He was caught up into paradise, that's heaven, and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Paul is actually exercising biblical humility right here. He's not saying, hey, let me tell you something. I died in a car accident, and here I am. I rose again. And so, listen, if I, if I died and came back to life, I would, A, write a book about it. Two, I'd produce a movie about it. And I would be on talk shows, and I would be traveling the country telling this story. By the way, some of the best-selling books in history have been people who died and came back to life. Why? Because it's a fascinating subject. I mean, everybody wonders, well, what happens when I die? What, what happens next? But here's Paul telling about a real, legitimate heaven experience, but he's saying it in the third person, meaning I don't want to talk about this. Verse 5, look at it. He says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Now, if you have your Bible, underline that word weaknesses. It's the Greek word asthenia. It means literally to wrap yourself with a fist, to inflict pain upon yourself. Now, you remember what I said a moment ago about leprosy? Leprosy attacks the central nervous system and renders you powerless to feel pain, which is what does the damage and the hurt. Are you with me? What does that in the Christian life? Dr. Paul Brand once said that what leprosy is to the body, pride is to the soul. What, what makes us and renders us unable to feel the pain in our community is our pride. I'm better than them. I'm different from them. I'm better than that. I would never do that. Or pride in that somehow God has chosen you. Or pride in the great experiences that you've had. Pride in the knowledge that you have of God or his word. Pride in your ability to lead or to sing or to bring glory to God. There's ministry pride. Our, our churches in this community for years have been in competition with one another. And we're not in competition with one another. We know who our enemy is, and it's not the church down the road. Our enemy is the devil who wants to destroy people in their suffering, in their misery. 1 Corinthians 8.1, now Paul says now, he's talking about a different subject, but he uses a similar principle. He said now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know what they ought to know. Here's the point. Paul is saying, if you are proud of your knowledge and your intellect or your theology, you better check your heart because you need to humble yourself before the Lord. So let me ask you a couple of questions on this gift no one wants. And by the way, I asked you to think about your pain earlier. I, I will agree with you, and it is absolutely sane to say, I don't want this pain in my life. But I want to ask you, what could God be doing through this pain? What could God be doing with the fact that you had lousy parents? Or a messed up childhood? Or have suffered? Neglect, abuse, harm, damage. Again, we live in a real world with real sin and real evil and real brokenness. And we get hurt. And we can live the rest of our lives bitter or angry even at God. But here's the point. God can use it. He can transform it. He can, Romans 8, 28, take all of this stuff and work it together for 
your good and his glory. Or to be able to say in the worst horrible family situation written anywhere in Genesis chapter 22, here's Joseph when he sees his brothers who sold him into slavery, tried to kill him, left him for dead, pretended all of his life that he was dead and gone. And yet God raised him up to save his family's lives. And when he revealed himself to him, what did he say? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. The saving of many lives. I'm going to tell you what I've learned from pain. Is that there's a lot of hurting people. And that God can use what I surrender to him. God can use what I don't understand. God can use it if I will let my heart Give love to other people who are hurting and suffering. Pain is a gift when it humbles you and drives you to your knees and breaks you and refines you and exposes you. Look at verse 6 of this text. Even, Paul said, if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But if I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. It is a gift no one wants. But secondly, here's the second part of that title. It's the gift everyone gets. At some point in our lives, we're all going to experience pain. Pain comes to us all. And, and it, pain, if we let it, can do its work. Its work is to humble us. Look at verse 7. Paul then says, And because of these surpassing great revelations, going up into heaven, seeing these things he cannot speak of, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This word thorn in the Greek original language means a sharp piercing stick. Paul is no sadomasochist, and neither am I. I do not glory in pain. If I feel pain, I'm going to do everything I can to mitigate that pain. Find out what the real problem is. Or learn, by the grace of God, to live with it. But pain humbles us. Can I tell you something else that humbles us? Unanswered prayer humbles us. When we cry out to God and there doesn't seem to be relief, our church has just walked through a very painful moment. A young man, 39 years old, father of three beautiful girls, amazing wife, discovered six weeks ago that he had a tumor pressing against the optic nerve on the left side of his brain. When they traced it down, they found out it was all over his body, and we did his funeral last week. After we cried out to God, after we prayed, after we pleaded, after we said, Lord, I know your will is good, but this doesn't sound good. It doesn't feel good to us. We love Robbie. We want you to heal Robbie. Verse 8, Paul, look at this. Paul said three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take this from me. Now, we don't know if this were three times in the same prayer meeting. We don't know if it was three times in his devotional time. We don't know if it was three times that were three epics of time. In other words, he had prayed through seasons or prayed through years. But he says, three times I prayed. And this is the third thing that humbles us in our pain, and that is that grace being sufficient humbles us. Look at verse 9. But he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. The job of every believer is to speak to others about the love and the grace of God. You either 
are close to the Lord or you're faking it. Those are the options. He is either your Lord and Savior. He is someone you pursue. And I don't mean perfectly. But you pursue him from a heart of worship that we sang about a moment ago. Or you're faking it. Because you grew up faking it. You grew up in a world that fakes it. It's easy to fake. But here's the question. How is your inner life with God? Is it growing? Is it dynamic? It doesn't have to be perfect. But do you seek him? Because the truth is, we all are going to receive pain. And when we do, what we need is his sufficient grace. I was lost the morning after my wife died. I woke up thinking this had to be the worst nightmare I've ever had. And when reality settled back in in that moment, I realized it wasn't. I got up and I went into my study and I closed the door and I cried out to God because I have been doing that every day for years. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest disciplines of the Christian life is to establish an unalterable time with God. There's days I have a very early flight out of town and I can't get up early enough. But even that changes the older I get. I can get up at 4, I can get up at 5 in the morning, I can make that time and make that flight. I don't do it out of a legalistic drive of fear. I do it out of love for the Savior who gave himself for me and who shows me, like Paul, that his grace is sufficient for whatever pain you're going through. I I do talk to pastors and leaders who lose their spouses a lot. And I'm just going to tell you, it's painful because it takes me down memory lane, but I gladly do it because the Scripture also teaches that we comfort those with the same comfort that we have received. One man that I was talking to in a terrible way lost his wife, and he was just struggling and struggling with his grief, which I totally understand and get, and maybe you do too. He asked me, he said, does this get better? Does the pain go away? He also asked me something else. The subject got changed. He came back to me in a few minutes and he said, hey, you didn't answer my question. I said, yeah, it's a hard question to answer. I don't know that I can tell you the pain goes away. I'm not sure I can tell you it gets much better, but I can tell you this. He makes you stronger. There's some pain I wish I could just put my hand over you and say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. And God may, in his divine love for you, just drive it away. Some of you might even discover you're holding on to a pain you've got to let go of. It's unnecessary for you to have it. It's a bitterness. It's an anger. It's a resentment. Whatever it is, I believe that can be gone. But I do believe this, that the benefit of pain is not only it keeps us from hurting ourselves, but pain also strengthens us for greater battles. Look at verse 10. This is why Paul says, For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Have any of you ever been attacked in social media? Have any of you ever had people make videos of you calling you a liar? Have you ever had people denounce you publicly? I'm going to tell you, that is a painful thing. Some of you have had people say things on Facebook or say things on Instagram or imply things about you. And that, that is a pain that is difficult. That fits right into Paul, what Paul was saying here. There are insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties that come. And some people you try earnestly to reach out to are going to press back and not in a good way. But do not be afraid. Because Paul tells us here, for Christ's sake, you can delight even when things like that happen. I received a letter today from somebody, and I can't go into any details about it, just to say it made me have to stop tonight and really pray. Because it's an attack. And I had to say, Lord, you have been faithful to me all the days of my life. And you will not start at this moment being unfaithful to me. Here's the third thing, the third point, and that is that, that the gift no one wants, everyone gets, and few embrace. 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen says, I will most gladly, Paul says, be spent and spend my life for you, Lord Jesus. Paul embraced his pain for the advancement of the gospel. A man who's a friend of mine named Bob Roberts said, Your faith was never intended to be defined inside the church building, but outside where the love of Jesus and the needs of humanity intersect. Let me say that again. Your faith was never intended to be designed inside the church, but outside where the love of Jesus and the needs of humanity intersect. That's where you and I live every single day. And we're to see that God wants to use even our suffering to make us the kind of people that rescue people, that pull people in the boat, who tell people the truth and let God do the changing in their hearts. Let me tell you what um, the refusal to embrace your pain and suffering does. It, first of all, isolates you from a hurting world. You don't want to be around other people that hurt because you don't want to think about your hurt. It also insulates you from human suffering. It it makes you hard and callous toward other people. And it separates you from diversity of those people that God is bringing into your life. The gospel exposes you to real pain, real suffering, and real difficulty. I want to encourage you to heed the words of Jesus who told us to abandon our comforts. He said in Mark 8.34, If anyone wants to be my follower... He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and for my gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own life, his own soul? There was um, a family. matter of fact, I preached a series last year called The Kids Down the Street. And it's a story of a family that lived in a town called Bethany. It was, they were Jesus' closest friends. Uh, there was a, a, the, probably the oldest was Martha. The, the mortgage of the house was in her name. It says they went to her home uh, in Scripture. And then her, she had a younger sister, apparently, named Mary. And then they had a brother named Lazarus. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus were very close and tight with Jesus. So much so that Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus when he was down uh, along the Jordan River. And 
they, they said, the one you love, meaning, it's code word, like friends and family have code words. You don't have to explain a lot. It was a quick tweet, and it was just simply, he's suffering, which is the signal. It's a warning. Come now, Jesus. That's what they're asking. Jesus didn't show. Days pass. Jesus doesn't show. No messages come back. Lazarus, their brother, died. Now Jesus shows up after the funeral and after Lazarus has been buried. And Martha, the one who cooked so well and complained that her younger sister always sat at the feet of Jesus, went up to him and she engages Jesus. And she says something. Do you remember this part of the story? She and Mary said the exact same sentence to Jesus. They said, if only you had been here. If only you had been here. Look at me, look at me. Come here, come here, come here. There's something in your life that's painful, and, and you will always be tempted to live in the past tense, and you will be tempted to say, if only that hadn't happened. If only I hadn't accepted that date. If only I had gone to another school. If only this would have happened, then I wouldn't be hurting today. Jesus, if only you had been here. And I want to tell you something. You can live your life in the past, but the problem is you can't undo the past. And then she said, when Jesus said, Martha, do you believe your brother will rise again? She said, yes. I've been taught that since I was a little girl. I believe the scripture. But what if? So not only is Martha saying, if only you had been here, she's also looking into the future saying, what if? In other words, what if that doesn't work? What if that doesn't happen? What if that's not the truth? What if I experience something else? What if, what if there's more pain in life? What if there's more sorrow in life? I went to a friend of mine after Tammy died, and I said he had had a lot of experience. His wife died of cancer when they were both young. He uh, lives in a wheelchair. He is blind, paraplegic has more gospel insight than anybody I know. And so in deep pain and great fear, because I'd already run through the what ifs. What if I hadn't let her go that day? What if this had been different? And now I'm facing what ifs about the future, the if onlys and the what ifs. I said, Billy, when I look on my calendar, I see dates coming up that I fear something's going to happen for me and my daughter or my sons. And I won't know what to do. And I ter- I'm being terrorized. I'm not a fearful person, but I am scared. And I'm paralyzed by worry. And Billy taught me something about the past, the present, and the future. Did you know that the Bible says that God is the God of yesterday, today, and forever? Did you know that? He's God. Time is his creation. He's not bound to time. But God only, listen to me, only reveals himself in the present. He doesn't reveal himself in the past, and he doesn't reveal himself in the future. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. That's the future, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has trouble of its own. Amen. So you take the trouble of the day, and by the way, he gives it to us in 24-hour periods, bite-sized chunks, so that we don't have to swallow a roast of trouble. We only have this moment, this bite of it, and we live in this moment trusting in him, and he is with us. Here's what Billy said. That day that you fear on your calendar, when it finally gets here, 
He said, he will be with you in the present. He's the ever-present, I am God. He's the God of Psalms 46 that says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. He's the God of 46, Psalms 46.1. It says he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Live in this moment. And live in his presence. Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Like Martha, you and I can get stuck in the if onlys and the what ifs. But God wants us to live in his presence every single day. And he has grace sufficient for your pain. But more importantly, he has a mission for your life. And that mission is to draw other people to him and to train them to take their pain to him and let him satisfy the longing of their soul. Would you bow your heads with me? And can I ask you as you do and as you close your eyes, if if you will, can I ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? As your sin bearer, do you know him as the one who did everything necessary to save you? Have you put your trust in him? Friend, if not, do it now. Invite him to be your sin bearer. Invite him to take away your sin, to forgive you, and to come into your life. Trust him as your savior. You put it in your own words. He hears your cry. He knows the longing of your heart. He knows he's been working with you to this very moment. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to worship the Lord. I'm going to invite you. If you prayed and asked Christ into your heart, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar. Talk to Josh and say, I I trusted Christ tonight as my Savior. But there are hurting people in this room, and here's what I'm going to ask of you. I understand it's a gift you don't want. But will you embrace it for his glory? Will you ask him to help you to learn and to use it to love and be sympathetic and compassionate to people who hurt like you? To be able to tell people of the hope that you have in spite of the pain. And there are some who need to be set free from the pain because you're holding on to something very painful that you need to let go of. And cry out to God. If you don't know the difference, if it's a mystery to you, just say, Lord, I don't want this in my life. That's legit. I don't want this in my life. Would you please take it away? And, but I'm going to trust you that your grace will be sufficient even if you don't. Would you stand together with me? And here's what I'm going to ask. This altar, these steps are a great place. That bench that you're on is a great place to turn around and maybe make an altar to the Lord. Get on your knees. Bring your pain to Jesus. Ask him to set you free from anything that binds you and put your trust in him. I want to tell you, I don't live in 24-hour pain. I live in joy. That God can take the worst, most life-altering pain in your life and use it for his glory and your good. And to God be the glory.